Good morning, friends. I know we, we say this every, every Sunday morning and we kind of um, go through the routines the same every week, but um, I want to take a moment to um, heartfully say Merry Christmas to all of you. We, um, we go through the season very quickly, don't we? And um, um, it comes and goes very quickly, but there's so much, so much delight. And think, think of it this way, as a family, being able to say that to one another, to really say Merry Christmas. May the peace of Christ be in your hearts today. Um, that is um, my heart's desire today is to convey again this message of salvation through this hymn and the, the text that uh, the hymn is taken from, which is Psalm 98, which is what Colton just read. Um, but let me remind you, you know, as I said, Merry Christmas. Let me remind you that we're living in a world and an age where people are even hesitant to say that. You know it, right? Um, the politics of the world, the um, just all, all of it. I remember even before moving back to Texas, um, you know, the closest... Uh, post office was uh, Bogota, New Jersey for me. Um, not Bogota, Colombia, Bogota, New Jersey. And that was a small, small little post office and it was the closest one and it was the one that I preferred to go do my mail and get packages. And um, the man there is a, was an old African-American man who I just constantly you know, got to see whenever I was in there. He looked me straight in the eye and he said, Merry Christmas. And then he uh, said under his breath, you know we're not allowed to say that. <laughs> and so it was very apparent to me that even for him right there in the office of the government building, that that is what was going on. But he looked me straight in the eye and he said, Merry Christmas to you. And so that's the world we're living in. It's People afraid to use the words Christmas connected to Christ. And the only thing merry about Christmas, really, when you really think about it, is Christ. All the other stuff is empty. All the other stuff will go away. All the other stuff will finish. All the other stuff will leave you disappointed. And that's why we are a church that wants to continually tell you when you come on Sunday morning to remind you, sort of rehearse it for ourselves, preaching it to our own hearts. Listen, there's only one way to be happy. There's only one way to have a joy-filled life, and that is to know God. And the only way to know God is through His Son, the Lord Jesus. And the only way to know Him is to hear the words of the Holy Scriptures and to hear it preach and to hear it again and again that He is accessible to us. So I want you to hear that in, in, in that spirit. Friends, if, if you are not joyful this morning, we've got to fix that before you leave. So I'm going to ask that question on this gloomy, rainy Christmas Eve morning, are you joyful? Are you joyful? Let me pray. Father, 
we ask that You would restore to us the joy of Your salvation as the psalmist David prayed. And Lord, um, may we always feel the closeness of Your presence because of Jesus um, entering into our hearts. And I, I pray that that would be true of every single person here from the oldest to the youngest. Lord, give us eyes to see the baby who is the king, who is the warrior, and who will come back as the judge of all the earth. We pray that you would fill us with joy this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, are you joyful this morning? You know, you know why I asked that? Because you know, when I got in the car at 7 a.m. this morning, and it was a little cold, and I saw the dreariness, I was like, man, Christmas Eve. I wished it was at least a little brighter. I feel bad for people who live in Seattle. <laughs> or where it's always like this dreariness, right? But here's the thing that my old pastor in New York used to say. He said, you know, Christianity offers a joy beyond your circumstances, beyond what you have, beyond what's going on today, beyond whether all your ducks are lined up in a row. Christianity offers us a deep joy that goes beyond the okayness of life or all things being okay, or family members being in good relationships with one another, or, um, uh, all, you know, you can think of, you can name all the things that make you unhappy. Well, I constantly have to remind myself, listen, the most important thing in life is that I am right with God. The rest of it doesn't matter. Th- that I am confident that the Lord loves me, and that I am His and I belong to Him. That He's coming back again for us. All this other stuff is extra. And we have reason to be joyful every single day of our lives, despite all the hard things. And I'm speaking to you knowing that many of you have hard things in your life, as I do myself. You know, I stay up at at night thinking about and worrying about people and things. Um, But the Bible tells us not to worry. It's Put all that on Him because He cares for you. Well, um, I know Christmas time is sometimes a very sad time for many people as well. As I shared on Christmas concert night, so I want, I want you to think about the things that make you unhappy for a moment. Not to um, make it more gloomy, but for you to have a chance to turn those over. The people situations, the money situations, the relationship situations, whatever it is. I had an acquaintance of mine say this over social media this week. He said, you know, right now the only things that bring me enjoyment are food and music. And my heart really sank. Because he wasn't just trying to get attention. That's really what he was saying. Saying now, at this point in my life, the only two things that really bring me enjoyment are food and music. My, my heart just really sank as I heard that. Because I know people like that. We have people like that in our families. And we need to tell them of a way that they can have joy beyond food, and music. Um, Let me read to you something. There was a young man 
who was struck like this. He was only 15 years old, and his heart was just churning because he was unhappy. He was wrestling. And he knew that he wasn't right with God and he wasn't right with people and there were things that weren't right in his life. And this is the story as it goes. On a snowy day in London, January of 1850, in in fact, it was January 6th, a 15-year-old schoolboy who was under great conviction of sin would enter into a little primitive Methodist church. And there were barely a handful of people there. And the preacher who was supposed to preach that morning didn't show up. And so a lay preacher was going up in his place and he was exhorting and he was giving a sermon that even this 15-year-old later would say was not a good sermon. But he redeemed himself, this um, young man would say. He redeemed himself by repeating the text over and over again, and this is what it was. Look unto me, all the ends of the earth, and be saved. Look unto me, all the ends of the earth, and be saved. This is what it literally says in Isaiah 45, 22, and 23. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. And on that very night, that young man, even though it was not a great sermon, heard those words, look to me, look to me, look to me, all the ends of the earth, and be saved. You want to find joy? Look to me. You want to find peace? Look to me. You want to have satisfaction in life? Look to me. And that young man gave his life to the Lord that day, and his name was Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who later became, as you know, one of the greatest preachers of the gospel on the other side of the Atlantic, perhaps all the world. You know, this is what Phillips Brooks, the author of The Little Town of Bethlehem, was talking about when he said, you know, there is a place that the Lord desires to reside in and it's in your heart. It's in your heart. Let's not just sentimentalize Christmas and that little beautiful little manger in Bethlehem and oh, how beautiful the streets must have been with all the hustle and bustle and Mary's sitting, you know, in this little stable and the baby's born and the wise men came and all that. Listen, It was chaotic then in Bethlehem, and it's chaotic right now. As you know, I showed you that picture last week of the church outside of Bethlehem. That was a real nativity scene that they set up with the baby in the ruins of all this rubble because that's what they're going through right now. But the one place that the Lord desires to reside in and wants you to think of Him being is in your heart. And that's what Phillips Brooks was saying. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. You know, this hymn that we're talking about today, Joy to the World, is all about salvation. It's all about salvation. Joy to the world. Not just Israel. Not just the Trinity. Joy to the whole world because the Lord has come.
Do you realize that it's not just about Bethlehem and that he has come? In fact, wonderful musicians like Mariah Carey has gotten this wrong. Her 1994 release of Joy to the World, she sings, Joy to the World, the Lord has come. That's not the hymn. You know what the hymn says? Joy to the world, the Lord is come. He has come as a baby. He's been here. He's lived the earth on the earth and walked it as the most righteous person who ever lived, who was God himself, and he died on the cross. He rose again, and he's coming again for us He is the Savior and King of the world, and He is come. And this hymn is all about salvation. So that question I asked last week, I want to ask you again in application this Christmas. Listen, don't let it just be sentimentalism, a beautiful Christmas tree, presents, hot cocoa, Hallmark movies. No, don't watch those. I'm kidding. Even that's going crazy, as you probably have heard. It's more than that. It's salvation to deliver you from the worst thing, sin itself and separation from God. The great question is, do you admire Jesus and love Him as your Savior more than anything else? More than anything else more than your husband, more than your wife, more than your children, more than your job, more than your things? Do you admire Him and love Him more than anyone or anything else? Otherwise, you'll have an emptiness in your eyes that goes very, very deep. You know, I had the privilege of traveling overseas a few different times in my life. But one of the hardest ones was when I actually traveled without my parents to the country of their birth, to India. I traveled for about three months by myself on all these rickety railroads and all these kind of stuff. And one day I was really discouraged because I was thinking, you know, most of this country does not know the Lord. They're very religious, but they don't know the Lord. And they are constantly searching for something to make them happy as a people, as a nation, as individuals. So I was sitting on this train. I really remember, this is like one of the few memories from this trip from 1997. So I'm sitting on this train, very discouraged. I'm thinking, who am I? Who am I preaching at a few churches on this missions trip? What, how is the Lord going to save this nation? How is the Lord going to bring joy to these people? And so I looked up, right? And I'm passing by this village. I still remember like it was yesterday. And there on this little, little poster in this little village that that looks like it's run down is just two words. Jesus saves. Just two words. (laughs) with paint, handwritten in this little village by the railroad, Jesus saves. You you can't imagine the joy that filled my heart as I realized, you know what? He's going to do exactly what He's going to do. With me, without me, He's going to accomplish His purposes to the ends of the earth. Because there are people who 
The Lord's light has entered into, into the midst of darkness. And there is someone there who is bold enough to say these words to the passers-by on the railroad, Jesus saves. Well, this is a hymn written by Isaac Watts. Isaac Watts is an Englishman who wrote more than 750 hymns. This is probably one of his best known. Maybe you know a couple of his other ones called When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. You, you know that one? At the Cross, that's another one. I don't know any of the other ones. Those are the ones that I'm most familiar with by Isaac Watts. And he wrote this hymn as I shared on Christmas, at our Christmas concert, he wrote this um, hymn as a poem to go along with 138 psalms in a book of poems about the psalms and how Jesus comes through the psalms. That's how this poem showed up. But the work was released at Christmas time. And so it always got associated with Christmas. But Watts never meant it to be a Christmas hymn. He wanted it to be a regular hymn that the church would use throughout the year, all year long. But because of the timing of it coming out, um, uh, around 1719, uh, it always got associated as a Christmas hymn. And I, I think I read this correctly. Many say that this is the most published Christmas hymn ever. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. And I think with every reason, we have right to sing this every week of the year and not just Christmas because Watts, Isaac Watts, meant this to be based on Psalm 98 about the Lord's coming again for us, not just about Him coming the first time. So I want to just give you a few, a quick breakdown of Psalm 98, because um, I don't have really much time to go into all of, all of the hymn or the psalm itself. Verses 1 to 3 are about Israel praising God for saving them in the past. So it's joy because of what God has done for us in the past. And so that's verses 1 to 3. Verses 4 to 6 is all the earth is to praise God for being king in the present. So all the earth, not just Israel. And then verses 7 to 9 is the entire universe praising God or it's a, an extension, it's a call to worship to the entire universe, including nature, because God is coming back as judge of all the earth. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through this somewhat quickly so that you'll kind of see what Isaac Watts is doing based on Psalm 98 in the lyrics. And you probably know the four lyrics that are in our hymnal. There were more. But I'd like you to think about those words again in light of, light of Psalm 98. Psalm 98 begins with this, O sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. Immediately, you know what He's doing? He's using language, these 
words marvelous things or wonderful things or wonderful works are meant to be words of the Old Testament that talked about great, miraculous, not ordinary things. Now, I have a question for you. Has God done anything supernatural in your life? Has God done anything extraordinary in your life? He has in mind. There are too many to count. But I want to tell you something. We as the people of God are called to rehearse it again and again and again and tell it to one another again and again so that we will not become people who take this for granted and live without joy. Listen, parents, do you tell your children some of the great things that God has done in your life? Some of the miracles that He has done in your life. Maybe it's the actual story of Him calling you to Himself. Your children need to hear it. They need to know the conversion story. That's why I just shared with you Charles Haddon Spurgeon's conversion story. He wasn't even Methodist. Do you know that? But the Lord used this little Methodist church one snowy evening in London to save his life because of that one little phrase by a bad preacher. Well, you have stories. Tell them. Rehearse them again and again. And hear the words. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. You know what I get from that? Listen, um, the Lord does it. It's His arm. It's His right hand who has worked salvation. You know, in other words... What do I bring to the table? What do I bring to the table? Oh Lord, look at me. Hey, you need me. Use me, Lord. Call me to the ministry. Allow me to go to the mission field. Allow me to do this. You know what salvation is? Salvation is all of the Lord and none of us. It's all about His graciousness and merciful kindness towards us. If you're really truthful in your hearts, isn't that why you're saved? There should be days when we wake up and say, Lord, why did you save someone like me? I don't deserve it. But His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. Listen, Israel was called to look back on the wonderful things that the Lord has done, to look back and consider how God has done great things and He's done it by Himself. And the command is to worship. You know, I think very much the psalmist has in mind the salvation from Egypt although the psalm doesn't say so, how God delivered the people from the hand of Pharaoh who was considered a god. But the real God shows up and delivers them and they get to the sea and they think they're going to drown and be destroyed. But what does God do? He splits open the Red Sea and has them walk across on dry land. And to this day, good, devout Jewish people tell the story to their children every Passover, if not every week of the year. 
they rehearse all the good things that God has done. Listen, as an application here, as you go into Christmas Eve night and Christmas Day, would you take a few minutes to talk about all the great things that God has done for you? That when you are a rebel running away from Him, that He chased after you until you are His. And that's why we are who we are today. And that's why we live with joy despite the circumstances. Well, verses, uh, there's so much more here. The Lord has made known His salvation. He's revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. Did the Lord show Pharaoh who was God? Did the nations learn? Do the nations learn today who is God? Yes. You know, a couple weeks ago, we talked about a hymn that said, He is the desire of the nations. Capital D. You know what that means, right? Even though they don't know it, He's the one that they're looking for. He's the true leader, the true king that all nations are looking for. Verse 3, He's remembered His steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Let me move to that next section. All the earth is to praise God for being king in the present. Do you realize that at Christmas, we don't just celebrate his coming as a baby, but his living as the king of the earth. Jesus lived and walked through the earth. He is presently our king, being ascended into the heavens. And this is a call to all the nations, not just Israel. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth break forth into joyous song. That term break forth is from the book of Isaiah. It shows up many times in the prophet Isaiah's writings. Break forth as if it's too good to keep inside. Hey, do you have ever have news where you're like, you're just aching to call someone and tell them, hey, guess what happened today? Guess what I got today? Guess what happened in my family today? Break forth into joyous song as if you cannot restrain it because you're anticipating the victorious king as he returns. Jesus is the king of all the earth, even of Russia, even of Ukraine, even of Bogota, Colombia, even of Plano, Texas. And we are now a people that are awaiting as if a king is returning from battle victorious. And when a king returns from battle victorious, you know what happens? Everybody shows up with banners, with, with trumpets, welcoming the king back, anticipating his return. Do you have that kind of joy that you can't wait to praise his name to make a joyful noise to all the earth. The last section talks about the entire universe. Look at what it says here. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. Before the Lord, notice the word Lord is all capitalized. It's the covenant name of the Lord, of God. Before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Listen, um, have you ever been joyful that Jesus is coming back as judge? 
Who would look forward to the king coming back as judge? Isn't that a little curious as you read these? So the whole Israel, the nations, and now even the entire universe, the seas, the world, the rivers, the hills, before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. There is only one reason why you can have joy when the King returns victorious and as the judge. Can you guess why? Think about that. Why would you look forward to your judge? And now, mind you, he's not just the judge of a territory, he's the judge of the whole universe coming back. There is only one reason. Because he is a merciful, loving, gracious judge. And for all those who look to him to be saved, there is now, therefore, Paul says, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? You see, He is not coming to judge and condemn you. He is coming to lift you up as His people. To embrace you. To remind you of His love for you. And we have no fear in Jesus coming back as the judge of all the earth. People of God, listen, those of you who are sitting here right now, young people included, don't be afraid. Ever. That King Jesus is coming back and to judge you because the Bible tells us very clearly when we look to Him, we are His. There is no condemnation and we will be gathered together as the people and saved together. Um, I can't help but think of the Old Testament character Joseph. Remember Joseph, whose brothers were jealous of him and they left him in a pit to die? And the brothers come back to Egypt to buy food and they don't realize Joseph is now second in command of all of Egypt. So Joseph recognizes them. They don't recognize Joseph. Joseph is their judge. And they stand in front of him. It says they were too afraid. But he says, come close. Do not delay. I am your brother Joseph. And what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And as they looked into their judge's face, it changed into the face of their Savior. An old artist named Michael Card sings a great little song called Jubilee. You can look it up. And he says, Jubilee, Jubilee. You look into your judge's face, but you see your Savior there. So it's not fear. It's delight. I want to close with one, one line. Some of you are here not filled with joy. I mean real joy. You're filled with happiness that comes with the things that come from the day. If the sun's out, or if the bank account is good, or if the kids are behaving, that's not true joy. True joy goes beyond all those circumstances. Some of us are not filled with the joy that Christ can give. And I want to remind you of a line from the hymn 
Um, the very last line goes like this. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and wonders of His love. And wonders of His love. And wonders, wonders of His love. Do you know how loved you are? <laughs> that it caused you to be astonished, for you to wonder. I mean, just wonder. The wonders of His love means He loves you so much that God the Father gave up His Son and watched as He died. The Son of all eternity put to death and watched him die because he knew your name and loved you and loves you still. A good pastor friend of mine sent this this week, and this will be my closing for you to think about. I frequently tell my people that God's love for us in Christ frees us up a lot of bandwidth in our lives that knowing ourselves so loved means we don't have to worry about anything. Don't have to angle for ourselves and try to make everything work how we want. And we can instead devote all that time and energy to loving Him and loving the people around us who need what we have. And in so doing, we become what we aren't yet, but want to be and will be like Jesus. I want you to walk away this Christmas Eve knowing how much you are loved. Because it's a wonder. It's amazing. It's surprising. It's astonishing. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Lord, give us delight in your coming back for us as the king of all the earth. Uh, Father, if we don't realize how loved we are, Lord, make it known to us today through a conversation, through a song, through the word. We thank you for loving us first and for sending your son for us. We pray that you will come back again very soon for us. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.